You know, whether it's getting ready for VBS during the week or Sunday mornings each week or even work throughout the week, I have a specific morning routine that I do every single day. There there are things I do every day in a certain order just so I can get ready for the day. How many of you would say, I'm the same. I have a specific routine when I wake up in the morning. It, it doesn't change. Oh, come on, raise them high. You can be proud this morning. If you, if, if you have a specific routine, you know, we're creatures of habit. And uh, I, I think a lot of times we have those specific routines because of that. You know, most of these things in my life, they, they come so naturally, I don't even think about them anymore. I, I wake up in the morning, and sometimes the first thing I do, usually I'll check my phone to see if I have any missed calls or text messages. Uh, sometimes I'll check my email to see if anybody in the church has reached out. And then I'll go downstairs, and I get in the shower, brush my teeth, put on deodorant. You have to do those things. And uh, then I'll, I'll get dressed and uh, go down. I'll talk t- to Faith before I leave, give her a hug and a kiss and just tell the boys uh, goodbye. And then it's off to work. And that's kind of my, my routine uh, most days. But when I think about what the start of my day looks like, I realize how much of my day is dependent on technology. And if I'm completely honest with you this morning, it's just as important to me as a shower as food, um, as sleep, all the things that I, I literally cannot live without. So I have a few questions for us this morning as we start a new two-week series. And I can get some audience participation this morning. You can raise your hand if this is you. So how many of you would say that you interact with technology in some way within the first five minutes of waking up in the morning? If that's you, just go ahead and raise your hand. All right. If, if you would say, how many of you reach for your phone or turn on your computer within the first half hour, the first 30 minutes? All right. And how many of you would say, you know, within the first hour, I've at least turned on the TV or the radio or something like that. So within the first hour, you've done that. So if, if any one of those three were you, just hold your hand high. And let's look across the room here this morning. I think that about sums it up. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost everybody. You know, technology is, is integrated into our, into our lives. It's just part of our lives. The truth is, it's part of all of our lives in a very big way. And I know in my life, nothing can throw my day off quite like misplacing a cell phone. Right? Have you been there? You lose your phone and you're looking all over the house and then you look in your pocket and it was there all along. Or, you know, misplacing your keys. Or, or what about this? Your internet at home going out for the afternoon. I mean, oh my goodness. Like a whole nother side of me comes out if that happens. It's like the dark side of the force. <laughs> you know, any Star Wars fans this morning? You know, technology is what we reach for when we're bored. It's, it's, it, we go to our phones, our, our computers, we turn on the TV, we play on our tablets or our iPads. Technology is, is always running in the background of our lives, everything that we do. And I would say this this morning, I think many of us don't have a clue how to exist without it. Each and every one of us, we, we have a relationship with technology, even if you're not as addicted to it as, as I am. In some way or another, we use technology every single day. And some of us, again, have more of a relationship with it than others. You know, I could go on Facebook right now, and some of my Facebook friends literally post almost every move throughout their day. I can know what they had for lunch. I can know what movie they watched last night. I know who they're mad at and who they're in love with. And There's people like that on our Facebook page. Maybe that's you this morning. And, you know, I think we would all agree that sometimes that's just a little bit, it's a little too much information, But before I say another word, I want to clarify something this morning. You know, we're not going to spend the next two weeks um, bashing technology. I don't want you to worry about that. I'm not going to ask you to live a technology-free life. You know, that would be pretty hypocritical of me because 
I love technology. I use technology to put this sermon together. I'm using an iPad right now. We use technology in this room every week, every Sunday morning. We have lights on and, and the band and even the choir use technology this morning. I, I carry a cell phone with me just about everywhere I go. I use a computer throughout the week. I've been on Facebook in the last 24 hours like many of us have. Technology is literally everywhere. I don't think we could escape it even if we wanted to. It's just part of our lives. It's part of, it's part of our world. So the question that we're going to confront in this series over the next two weeks is is this. If technology is such a big part of our lives, and it is, how do we relate to it in a healthy and scriptural way? How do we interact with technology in a way that acknowledges how important it is to us in the 21st century, but also in a way that doesn't make it too important, that we don't elevate it to a place that it was never meant to be? You know, most people would say that the Bible has nothing to say about technology, and technically you'd be right. I mean, God's Word doesn't specifically address the topic of technology. You know, we don't turn in the Old Testament and read things like, thou shalt not text, or take up your technology and follow me in the New Testament. We, we don't read that. Scripture talks a lot about a lot of subjects, but technology just isn't one of them. And to be completely honest with you this morning, I'm kind of glad that God's word doesn't directly address technology. I mean, after all, what would it be like to come together and read a passage from over 2,000 years ago, learning about the technology that they used in that time, and talk about how we use technology today, how, how it would relate to how they did. I mean, it just wouldn't make sense. It would be outdated. You know, my iPhone, they, they update these things at least once a year, right? If you have a cell phone from another company, they do the same thing. It would just be outdated. It wouldn't make sense to to do that. But what the Bible does say is this, that God's word is living and active, meaning that it's relevant to our lives today. It speaks to our lives today. And even though our world looks much different today than it did 2,000 years ago, uh, the stories that we read, the truths that we hear, the words of scripture, they speak just as much into our lives today as they did to the people over 2,000 years ago, when it was written. So today we're going to look at a story that explains a pivotal moment in human history. And at first glance, when we read this, it might not read like it has anything to do with our lives today, but it actually has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about over the next couple weeks. This story illustrates a time in human history that changed the way that we would forever communicate with one another. See, at this point in this story, humanity wasn't doing a good job in the the communication department, especially before this story unfolded. And then at this moment, in, in this story, things get even more complex. This story takes place in a town called Babel. In the Old Testament book of Genesis, it's the first book you're going to find in your Bible. It's found in Genesis chapter 11, specifically in verses 1 through 9. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn there with me. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. And we're going to look at this story in context today. And if you didn't bring your Bible, you can read the words on the screen or you can use your smartphone as well. So let's start in in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. These are the words that we read. It says, At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. That's a pretty radical truth claim, especially in our day-to-day. I want to stop here for, for just a second. You know, for those of you who might have a neighbor or maybe a coworker who speaks a different language, think about this for a second. This wouldn't have been an issue at this time in history. 
Maybe if you were like me and you struggled in school with, with Spanish class or maybe French class, imagine just for a second not needing language classes at all. At this point in history, there would have been no, no need for it. And for those of us you know, who have relatives that live up north or like mine that live down south, there would have been no, no accents. There would have been no regional terms. Nothing like that. Every single person, according to Scripture, at this point in time, had the same language, the same vocabulary. This is pretty amazing. Let's continue in verse 2 through 4. It says, As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia, and they settled there. And they began saying to each other, Let's make bricks and harden them with fire. See, in this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. And, they, and then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. So this group of people, they come together around this newfound technology called the brick. This is completely new for them. And with bricks, now they could do things like make cities and make towers faster and bigger than ever before. You see, before this, according to God's word, the primary building materials that they would have had would have been stone and mortar. This would have taken an incredibly long time to build with. So the question has to be asked this morning, why were these people building a tower that would reach in to the sky? Maybe it was because they were running out of space and the only place they had to go was up. Maybe this was a, like a New York City situation. Maybe they wanted to see how tall they could build a building before it fell over. You know, I do that with my kids all the time. We build things just to see how tall it gets before it falls. It's kind of fun when it falls. Maybe it was because they wanted to be closer to God. Maybe they just had a weird view of theology and thought, well, the higher we go, the closer we get to God. You know, I don't believe that any of these reasons stick or even make sense in the context of this story. See, these people had one goal in mind, and it had nothing to do with being closer to God. What the people of Babel wanted was to make a name for themselves. They wanted to use the bricks and the tar to build something that would make themselves known, or according to God's word, it would make them famous. Kind of sounds like our culture today, doesn't it? They wanted to be recognized. They wanted all the glory. They wanted the fame. They wanted to go down in history and be remembered for their accomplishments. And when you read God's word in context, you see that their plan worked. They, they got what they wanted, just not how they originally planned. Let's keep reading and you'll see what I mean. In verse 5 through 9, it, the story wraps up this way. It says, But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower that the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united. And they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. And in that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. This is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. There's a verse here that gets me caught up every time I hear this story, and it's verse 6. Notice what God says here. He says, after this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, when I read this story, this verse only adds to the confusion of what's happening with these people. I mean, what's God saying here? What, is, what does he mean when he says, after this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them? 
for them? I mean, had these people uncovered some big secret? Had they found a way to maybe tap into or even rival God's power in their own lives? Here's another translation of the Bible that um, paraphrases this verse pretty well. Um, This is the Message Bible, and I typically don't use this in study or even preaching, but this particular version of the Bible summarizes this, uh, this verse and paraphrases it for us in a way I think it's easy to understand this morning. So Genesis 11, verse 6, according to the Message Bible, says, One people, one language. Why, this is only the first step. No telling what they'll come up with next. They'll stop at nothing. So come, we'll go down, we'll garble their speech so they won't understand each other. So it's not that the people were invincible. It's not that the people were somehow equal to God. It's just that in setting out to do what they wanted to do, they thought they were God. See, they had pushed God to the side, and now everything in life was about them. Their worship was about them. Their family gatherings were about them. Their accomplishments in work were about them. They were trying to live their lives purposely outside of God's created order. This is what gets me. You know, I, I believe that the tower in and of itself is, is an image of human rebellion and ignorance. It really is the, the garden rebellion that we see in Genesis chapter 3, now at large with this entire group of people. And God knew in his mercy, in his grace, in his love, he knew that left to their own devices, this would only be the beginning. That this group of people would stop at nothing to make themselves more powerful, more well-known, ultimately leading to their own destruction. See, God had provided the materials they needed in the first place to, to make bricks. I mean, he, he gave the people the knowledge and the know-how to make them. These, these people used these bricks to, to build a lot of really good things. It wasn't all, always just bad. I mean, they built houses, buildings, things that were useful and helpful. But in this story, they also used the bricks to do something that God was just not on board with. So what are, what are these bricks from thousands of years ago? have to do with our lives today. I believe that this is a brick. This is a brick. I mean, yeah, it looks like a phone, but based on what we just read, this this represents a brick. And sure, it's a really cool brick. I can do some pretty amazing things with this. I can take pictures. I can send emails. I can browse the web. I can talk to faith through FaceTime when I'm at work. There's some really great things that I can do with this. But like an actual brick, you know, we, we, like an actual brick and the things that we build buildings out of today, we can do a lot of great things with phones and computers and TVs and video games and, I mean, you name it. But like the bricks in our story today, God didn't make this brick. This brick was probably made by a man or a woman on an assembly line somewhere else in another part of the world. But God did give us the materials to make it and even the components of the man-made materials that that we now have and use. God didn't make the bricks in Babel. We read in in this story that the the people came together and they had this newfound technology. They made the bricks themselves. But like he did then and like he does now, he gives men and women the ability to create. And he gives us the intelligence and the creativity to design things like, like our phones, like our computers, And to make it work for us. 
So here's how we're just like the people of Babel. And, and how this story applies to our lives today. You see, like the people of, ba- of Babel, we, we have a choice. The residents of Babel had a choice about what they were going to do with their bricks. And you and I, we have a choice about what we're going to do with our bricks. I have to decide. And you, you have to decide individually and as families and as, as a church what we're going to do with this brick. We have to determine what our relationship is going to be with technology. Today, I want to challenge you to think about a relationship that you may never have even considered. It's not dating. It's not family. It's not friends. It's simply your relationship with technology. Your relationship with your phone, with video games, with your social media account, or or maybe even a piece of technology in your life that is fighting for your time, fighting for your attention, and fighting for your heart. It's your relationship with a tool that, if goes undefined, can occupy a place in your heart that it was never meant to occupy. It becomes a tower. It becomes a monument that was never meant to be built. Today, I want to challenge you to think about your relationship with technology. In closing today, I want to give us three questions that I think we should all have in the back of our minds and we should ask ourselves anytime we use technology, no matter what it is. The first question is this, am I promoting God or self? No matter what it is that I'm doing, if I'm using technology, am I promoting God or self? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says this, uh, so whenever you eat or drink, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So when we, we think about this, this question of am I promoting God or self, the first thing that comes to mind in the culture that we live in has got to be social media. It has to be. You know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of these things were built on the platform of promoting self. I don't know if you knew that or not. That's why you get on your, your Facebook page and you, the first thing you see is a picture of yourself, Right? It's built on this idea of promoting self. So I want us to start thinking about, you know, when we use social media, how do we do that in a way that, that honors God? In a way that points people to Christ? How can we use an amazing tool like that for the glory of God? Think about the movies that we watch. And I want to get, I want to get real with you for a minute this morning. Think about the movies that we watch. When, when we ask this idea of, am I promoting God or self? Do the movies that we watch, the, the shows that we watch, does that promote sin or does that promote holiness? In the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. God calls his people to a life of holiness. A life that is set apart, changed because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. So the question has to be asked, are are we allowing junk into our lives or things that reflect a life that has been changed by Jesus? We worship on Sundays and then we're okay with going and just allowing things through the filter and allowing things into our lives that never should have been there. And this is where I'm going to be real with you about because this 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 is harder for me. My wife has kind of been the rock in this area in our family. I hear about a movie that I'm really excited about and I just want to go see it, right? I get excited about it. We decided as a family early on that we were just going to draw a hard line in the sand. And there were certain things that were allowed into our lives and certain things that that were not. And I can tell you this, it has made a huge 
difference in our family. You know, we jump on our culture and we jump on individuals who become addicted to porn or have gone down a road that maybe as Christians we would say, well, I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. I'm not going to intervene or be a part of that guy's life. You realize most of the things we watch today, if it's got nudity in it or the words that it uses, I mean, that's porn. We just try to justify it because it's not as, as out there. We try to make it okay because we're the ones taking it in. We make it okay because we're behind closed doors and nobody else can see. And God says, you're to be holy as I am holy. You're to be a people set apart. We're not involved in the things of the world. Not because it's, it's strict rules and regulations and you've got to do this and not do that. It's because we have been changed by Jesus. Amen? Just because Rotten Tomatoes gives something a good rating doesn't mean that God wants it in our lives. We have to think about these things. We have to pray about these things. The second question that I want us to ask today is this. Am I serving or am I taking? When I use technology, am I serving others or am I taking for myself? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 16 says, most, Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. When I, when I ask myself this question of am I serving or am I taking, the thing that I struggle with the most is my family time. It's my family time. Am I making the most of the time that I have with my family, every opportunity I get, or am I robbing my family of our time together because of how I use technology? You know, when we allow technology to occupy a place in our lives that it was never meant to occupy, we can be two feet from the people that we love most, and we can feel two miles apart. Faith and I can be sitting on the couch, Both of us have an iPad open, have a movie going on the screen, the kids are running in the background, and feel two miles apart. Am I serving or am I taking? Am I serving those around me or am I taking and and being selfish in my life? Does that mean we can never be on our iPads and sit in the living room? Absolutely not. But we've just got to think about these in the grand scheme of things. The second thing, and this is going to step on some toes this morning, but it's our finances. When we ask this question of, am I serving or am I taking? We have to think about our finances, the things that God calls us to be good stewards about. I'm I'm preaching to myself this morning, church. Do I have to have the latest and greatest piece of technology or am I content with what I have? Proverbs 22, verse 7. This is an extremely difficult verse to swallow. It says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. We live in a time and a place where millions of people are in debt over something as silly as this brick. When I moved to Oklahoma City back from Indianapolis, I worked with a group of guys that love technology, and I love technology. And I was kind of sucked in, and it was my own decision. I walked into T-Mobile, and I saw the brand new iPhone, and my other phone worked fine, but I thought I had to have the new one, right? So what did I do? Well, for $30 a month on my plan, I can add the new phone, right? Just for $30, But what we don't realize is when we add that, when we go in debt for things that are just silly, a $600 phone turns into $1,000 or $1,200 over the long run. You become a slave to the lender. Unnecessarily. Faith and I had to make a, a pretty significant stand in our lives to purposefully get rid of the debt in our lives. And what I found is the more debt we had, the less likely 
in our lives that, that God was going to use us in a big way. We had to free ourselves up to be used by God. And when we did, we got to a place where we moved here. We literally had no debt to our name other than a house. College was paid for. Cars were paid for. Everything. God opened up a door for us to come and walk alongside an amazing group of leaders and help lead a church that loves the Lord. Guys, stuff like debt, it it enslaves us. It enslaves us. It enables us to not be used by God in the way that he wants to use us. Does this verse mean that we should never borrow money? I don't think that's what it means. But we have to understand this, that anytime we take an unnecessary loan for anything, it enslaves us. We become a servant to the individual or the institution that gave us that loan. We have to be careful about these things. We have to be prayerful about these things, especially as the people of God. The third and final question is this. Am I modeling a healthy use of technology for others? Am I modeling a healthy use of technology for others? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says, Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. You know, these verses, this verse specifically, isn't just for kids. A lot of times that's, that's the way we try to use it. But Paul was writing to a young pastor, Timothy. So in a lot of ways, this was really more for adults than it is children. See, in Christ, you're called to be an example to your kids. We're called to be an example to our spouse, our peers, our coworkers. And we're called to be an example to all other believers in what we say, how we live, how we love our faith, and in purity. And this would include being an example and how you model a healthy use of technology towards others. What's the purpose of this message today? I want us to begin the conversation. I want us to begin the conversation with our spouse, with our kids, in our, in our home, or at work, with friends. Talk about what you watch. Talk about how you're using the internet, how you're learning to set boundaries so that we're promoting God instead of self. We're pointing people to Christ instead of to me. So that we're serving others instead of taking. So that we're modeling a healthy use of technology for other people. You know, if technology is such a big part of our lives, and it is, I don't think anybody in here would refute that. We have to learn how to relate to it in a healthy and scriptural way. 